We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. At Veterans Minimum is where you can find the show. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, I am joined by a special guest, an absolute honor. And I can't front Chris. Um, I use you as a source of uh, inspiration, your work ethic, all that fun stuff, all the cliches thrown at you. CVV, do you ever do that? I've been dying to ask. <laughs> I do. I do it all the time. Oh. CVV. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. I did it for Rob Van Dam. I'm like, I kind of borrowed this thing from you. Oh my God, dude. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He's in my top three just to get that out the way. That's why I saw the three letters, you know, so I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And thank you for the, the kind words. Congrats to you on everything. Um, you know, podcasting isn't easy. You know, it's a, it's a labor of love. And uh, I think a lot of people, I think, I don't know what the stat is, but it's something like 80% of people give up after one episode and like 85 give up after five episodes, something like that. Um, because it's, it's a lot of 
putting the work into it and not seeing a lot out for a while. So congrats to you, man. You're, you're doing a great thing here. Yeah, thank you. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I was, I've been, August will be five years that I've been doing Veterans Minimum. There used to be a bunch of other guys with it, but kind of life got in the way. Some people went into different jobs or got raises. And one of my other buddies, he's a really successful like comedian. So his podcast just took off to another level. So I kind of just inherited everything. And yeah. I was spreading myself so thin because I'm also a big sports betting fan. You'd get a kick out of the name of it. Degeneration bets play on the word. Nice. X. Love it. So I had that. I had the jerks. It was a wrestling podcast also, but then I kind of had to just dive into one direction. And this was the biggest of the three podcasts. And it was more of a broad audience too. You know, I'm, I'm a man of very simple taste. I like to say, I like betting sports, beer, wrestling, and music. So if I could have a conversation with you, man, about one of those topics, I could record a podcast. Yeah, I love it. And I, and I think that that's an interesting point that you're hitting on. Like, I think you got to double down, triple down on the thing you're actually most interested in, because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, you're going to have the, you know, an okay podcast here, an okay podcast here, when you could have a great podcast, mm -hmm. if you just put all your efforts into one thing. Yeah. And, you know, I've, like I was telling you before we started recording, I have a, I have the two monitors set up over here. So if you catch me looking this direction, it's because I, I got a Wikipedia page, which right away, I think you've made it. Because if you have a Wiki page about you, <laughs> I think that's an elite, elite company right there. Yeah, that was such a surprise when I found out that I had a Wikipedia page. Uh, I was, I was funny story about that. I was hosting a TV show in Toronto, which is my hometown. Oh, shit. And it's okay. 2009. Yeah, so I'm from Toronto. Uh, or I guess the Wikipedia page will tell you my actual hometown, which is Pickering, Ontario, just east of Toronto. And I was hosting this show called Inside Jam on Sun TV, an entertainment show. And you know, most of my career I've spent as an entertainment reporter. My co-host was a very famous musician in Canada. She was the lead singer of this band called Joy Drops. So I'm like, of course, Tara Sloan. Of course, you have a Wikipedia page. She's like, well, are you going to add that uh, little fact there to your Wikipedia page? I'm like, ha ha, like one day I'll have a Wikipedia page. And she's like, no, like you have one. It's right here. I have it pull up on the screen. I'm like, get out of here. It's not even funny. Come on. And she's like, no, seriously. And like swung her monitor around. And I'm like, oh my God, what do you mean? This is crazy. So ever since that moment, I'm like, Whoever was the kind person to see me on this tiny little TV station in Toronto to think that that warranted me having a Wikipedia page. Thank you to that person with the completely random username. I'm sure you have. Dude, I, I, I didn't know that you were from from Toronto, man, because that's one of my favorite cities that I've been to. I've been there twice. I went for OVO Fest one year. Uh, nice. Drake's big concert. And it was awesome. I also went this other time because I used to, when I was in college, I thought I'd become a professional poker player and uh, I would travel to like different cities and whatnot and go play cards. And I went out to Toronto also. And it's a, uh, I like to compare it to a way cleaner New York City. I say that all the time. Yes. It's a way cleaner, way nicer New York City. Kind of like has a little bit of a Chicago vibe in there mm -hmm. too. Yeah. That's a, that was home for me for, well, you know, just outside of Toronto for 23 three years then I moved to Vancouver and then back to Toronto to host this show I was just telling you about and now I've been in the U.S. for 10 years and it's uh it, you know if you want to make it in media and that's what I really wanted to do being a TV host was like was my goal 
And, uh, you know, if you really want to make it, you've got to go to the U.S. Yeah, I think sacrifice is definitely a big, big part of the industry you're in, the industry that I'm in now, and, you know, just sports media and media in general, too. And how how long have you been, uh, I'm assuming the answer is forever, but wrestling <laughs> is like your main thing. So does, how far back does it date? Yeah, so uh, like I remember watching wrestling growing up when I was four, five, six. Like it would be on at my grandparents' house, mm. uh, and I wasn't like a big fan. But this is the late '80s, and I remember just being like blown away by the larger-than-life characters. You, you know, Ultimate Warrior and um, Macho Man, Hulk Hogan. But then you also had like the ridiculous characters like Coco Beware and Repo Man, and I just remember like be Saturday night. Saturday night wrestling would just be on. And, we would just kind of take it in and that would kind of be it. And then when I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team. And when mm. you're an amateur wrestler, you're told to like, look at pro wrestling. I'm using quotations here as the fake thing. You know, we, we do the real wrestling in here and that thing on TV, that's fake. So that was kind of the idea that I had about wrestling growing up. But one of my best friends in high school was obsessed with wrestling and we're talking late 90s here. So we're talking like 97, 98. Best you talk time. on the phone a lot, right? Yeah. And attitude error, right? So you right. talk on the phone a lot. And I knew Monday night at 9 o'clock, our phone call had to end because Monday Night Raw came on. And then one week I was like, oh, oh, look, man, I'll stay on the phone with you. I'll watch this garbage with you. And I was like immediately hooked. And it was Austin McMahon having that big feud. And I was just drawn right in. And it was like someone flicked a switch because from that moment on, I watched everything. I watched Raw and I'd flick to Nitro during commercials and I watched SmackDown and I watched ECW and I would watch Jacked and Metal and Sunday Night Heat. I would tape it all on VHS and I would rewatch it so much to the point that I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And mm. I was a backyard wrestler growing up and I wanted to make this plan that when I was old enough and I had a car, I was going to go to wrestling school and train to be a wrestler, which I did briefly. And I kind of, to make a long story short, had to weigh the options. Do I continue going to university, getting my degree in you know, broadcasting, communication studies, which I did, or do I go do chase this dream, you know, do wrestling school and try to be a pro wrestler? And you honestly can't do both. You've got to go all in on one or the other. And I decided I'm going to get my education and wrestling will always be there if I want to pursue it dude i that was the era for me too I, I was born in 91 so my first like vivid memories of just life was wrestling from a young age you know i i grew up about 20 minutes from madison square garden so all the house shows when they would come in town my dad nice. used to scalp tickets outside of seventh avenue and we would get in and austin was my guy i i should have had i have a stone cold steve austin vest with the with the f with WWF <laughs> honestly Chris it's yeah. probably like I make this joke all the time and knock on wood hopefully it's never a situation that I'm faced with like god forbid my house is burning down object number one that I'm grabbing that's <laughs> <laughs> I need that vest man that's that's, that's my best funny but uh I, just like you you know I I loved ECW a lot and then one day my mom walked in and New Jack they just did the dark side of the ring on him yeah and, yeah he like staple gun Tommy Dreamer. And she's like, you're not watching this anymore. Watch something else. <laughs> and then when Stone Cold came along, that was just it for me. And Stone Cold has been probably my favorite 
person outside of my parents for as long as I've, you know, the 29 years of my life. So I couldn't I've got a, more. I've got a similar story. Like my parents hated pro wrestling and I would watch it on the TV in the basement. And when I heard my dad, like coming down the stairs, I would like do the trick that we all did. Um, usually when you were watching the scrambled channels, but I did that trick that we all did where I hit the last channel button and, you know, it'd be the hockey game or baseball game or whatever. And yeah, every once in a while he would catch me watching wrestling. So one day I'm like, dad, what's your problem with wrestling? You know, why, why can't I watch this? And you know, it was a time where Austin's flipping off his mm -hmm. boss and there's brawn panty matches all the time. I understand why he wouldn't want his kid watching this, but I loved it so much that I was going to find a way to watch it anyway. I'm like, look, Dad, if you're not going to let me watch this, I'll go to my friend's house and I'll see you at 11 o'clock, you know, on a Monday night. And eventually, it took a long time, but eventually my parents kind of came around and went, we don't get it and we don't like it, but if this is your thing, this is your thing. You could be into a lot, like, worse things than wrestling, right? Like, it wasn't, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the worst thing to be into. Right. It's also, you know, you, it, this is the era where people are telling everyone to suck it. That's and, true. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was, a, you know, the attitude era was a very disrespectful era. You know, I, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I get that in your formidable years, your parents probably don't want you learning your habits from Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> so how long, how long after you finish or, when did you start doing your show? Which I got to give you credit, man. I started every year. I like to add something new to my show. You know, it's the YouTube channel. It's the Instagram. It's little things getting more comfortable in front of a camera. And sure. for me, I, um, you know, I'm 29. I had braces at 26. And one of the reasons why was because I wanted to be more comfortable in front of a camera. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, Chris, going to a bar in New York city at 26 years old, <laughs> trying to hit on chicks with braces on. It's kind of awkward. So I was very self-conscious, but I knew long-term thinking down the road, similar to how you were saying you have to go all in on one particular thing for me yeah. was that. And now like, you know, there's not a camera that I don't have a good time in front of. And sure. for me, it was something that I needed to do. When you were doing this wrestling channel, when did you start it? How did you start it? And what was it that led to that? Because I love, the aspect of you going and doing them in person. Cause I do think interviews over webcam and obviously we have the Corona thing and it wouldn't work out, but man, I just went to Vegas for two, uh, two forty eight UFC. And nice. I linked up with some people from blue wire and I did some interviews with some people in person and I got that from you. Um, so I appreciate you laying the blueprint because I see that it's worked for you and it's been something you've been able to build. So, how did that come about? Well, thank you. Um, I mean, if I really back it up here, my background is in broadcasting and I've mm. worked in radio and television, you know, since I graduated from college. So I think that that, that really laid the foundation for a lot of this. So I, I've been doing interviews almost my whole career. You know, I started off as a news reporter where you're at one of those places where you're the cameraman and the editor and the, you know, writer and the reporter. And, and you know, that's, having that background has helped me so much now that we're all content creators. Mm -hmm. We all walk around with a recording device or a camera in our pocket. So that, I think that really helped me a lot. So I worked a lot in entertainment news and you're interviewing musicians and you're interviewing actors. 
and I would always find an excuse to try to interview wrestlers whenever I could, and then we could put them on the TV show, which would be awesome. And I, I was just, as a fan, appreciating the fact that, like, I get to talk to, like, some of my early interviews were, like, Mr. Kennedy and Ted DiBiase Jr. Like, these were some of my early ones, Jack Swagger. And then I started realizing, and it was actually Ariel Hawani who kind of, uh, you know, really inspired me. And any mixed martial artist fan will know who he is. Yep. Um, and Ariel Hawani was doing these, like, exclusive style interviews, but it looked like he was just, like, filming them himself. And I'm like, well, I already have this wrestler coming into the studio to do an interview that we're only going to show a tiny little clip on TV. What if I did one of these longer interviews and just threw it up on YouTube? And as a fan, I would just appreciate that that would be out there for other people to see. And that's kind of where it started. We would do these 10, 15 minute interviews. We'd air 20, 30 seconds of them going, SmackDown's in town, tickets start at $20, come see all the action. And then I'd be like, okay, great. Now that we have that out of the way, like, let's talk about like, <laughs> let's stuff that actually matters. Right. And we would air that little clip on TV. And then the other part, I'm like, other people will appreciate this. If I, as a fan, appreciate this and I'm asking questions I find interesting, other fans will too. And that was kind of the genesis of it. I started uploading these interviews in 2011, just kind of thinking I wanted to live somewhere. And I was also peppering in a lot of the celebrity interviews that I had been doing. And I've been so fortunate, so grateful in my career to interview, you know, some really big stars. And my interviews with people like Oprah or Anne Hathaway or Denzel Washington, Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, all these people. Those, those are all my YouTube channel too. But kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, you, you can't be the best at both things. I don't mean by saying I'm the best, but Every time I put up a celebrity interview, the wrestling fans were like, what's going on here? Who's this person? And every time I put up a wrestling interview, all the celebrity fans would be like, what, what is this? And it was just this weird mixture of the two. And eventually I went, look, I, I, I think I've really tapped into something interesting with these wrestling interviews. So I'm just going to double down on those, start to do them more often. Uh, instead of them just waiting for them to come to me, like when the person was available or in town, I'm like, I'm going to start kind of going out of my way to do these interviews. If it's driving a few hours, or if an independent wrestling show happens to be in town and there's a top talent on there, maybe I can reach out to them and do an interview. And it was that journalistic prowess that I had from my background in broadcasting that made me go, if I'm willing to put in the work, if I'm willing to go, you know, 95% of the way, all I need that person to do is meet me just five more percent and say, sure, I'll do this for you. I'll give you the time. And that's kind of where it all started. 2011 is when my YouTube channel started, but I really didn't start putting the effort in until probably 2018 is when I oh, really wow. started like setting some goals. I mean, it was growing. I was, I mean, I remember getting, I remember getting emails in like 2012, 2013, where you get like a notification every time you got a new subscriber. And like I'd put up a big interview with someone and the next day I'd have like 3,000 emails. And I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Delete, delete, delete. Like this is so, why are they clogging my mailbox up with this stupid stuff? I didn't understand what a subscriber was and how valuable it was. Um, and it wasn't until, yeah, probably 2018 that I'm like, oh, I, I could probably get 100,000 subscribers 
I really like put in some effort here? And, and that's kind of where it all started. I always say vague goals get vague results. And it was in 2018 where I'm like, I'm going to do 40 wrestling interviews this year. And I, at that time, only done maybe 20. And I did 40 that year. The goal was to do 50 last year. I ended up doing 100. And it's just like setting those goals gives me like a benchmark of like, all right, there's where I want to be. Here's where I am now. And I know how to get there now. Oh, man. It's this is, uh, I'm going to be playing this back because it's so validating to hear from someone that's done it because I feel the same way. And as far as, you know, something that jumped out was you said 2011. And I do think yeah. a lot of people, like, that's nine years ago, man. And, you know, I don't know the exact month that you started, but it's very important to realize that this shit takes a while. You know, it, it takes a long time. And I told you right before we started, um, you know, some people want the fruits of the labor, but they don't want to put in the labor and the work. And, you know, going from that to the one or two notifications to get getting 3,000, I'm sure it was validating too, because as much as we like to say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, or, you know, uh, ah, it's okay if they don't like it kind of thing. It's like, nah, in the end, it's good to see your work being accepted by people, I think at yeah. least. Now I agree. And that, that phrase about the fruits of your labor, it's so good. I'm going to steal that, by the way. I'll credit Feel you, free. I'm going to totally okay. steal that. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the thing that I realized early on was nobody was coming to my channel to see me. Like I, my, my channel was and still very much is guest driven. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and that's why I was able to put up an interview with Denzel Washington one week and then put up Mick Foley the next week because I knew that, you know, I didn't have a ton of subscribers so I could go kind of all over the place. But I think the thing I also realized is nobody's watching your YouTube channel or listening to your podcast because of who you are. They're doing it because of who they are and what they're interested in and what your content reflects on their life. And as soon as I realized that, like I think there's a lot of people who will start a YouTube channel this year thinking it should be all about them. And when they only get like 14 subscribers and one of them is their mom, they go, well, I'm going to give up this thing. You know, yeah. this thing doesn't work. This wasn't cut out for me. Um, you know, look at, look at Joe Rogan. Like go right. back to like some of his early podcasts. And they're laughable. Like if you watch like episode 47 or you watch episode 347, I mean, it doesn't look very good. Right. And, and there's a lot of people that give up after episode one or two. Uh, and, and his just kept continuing on. And I think that that's just a great example. If you enjoy it, man, just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, early on, anything isn't going to be good, right? Because it's new territory for you. And I do, yeah. I do agree with you because I've had, I've had friends that have started podcasts and you know, it's, it's a, it's a process, man. It's like nothing else. You can't be, I just started taking jujitsu and I talk about it all the time, Brazilian jujitsu. And uh, I'm sure my audience is going to send me hate tweets and tell me to shut up about jujitsu, but dude, I've fallen in <laughs> love with it. Right. Because it ties in the wrestling stuff. I never wrestled in high school or in college. I was a football player. And for me, it's like, all right, here's this new thing that I could get into. It's phenomenal training. You get in shape, but also it's like, it's humbling. And I think it's, mm. it's humbling because there's like a 14 year old that I outweighed by 70 pounds and he ragdolls me. 
like I tap out left and right and it's like what the hell because he's a blue belt you know but yeah. it's humbling because it's like the age doesn't matter the the weight doesn't matter it's the experience and it's also the yeah. same thing when you're doing content it's like in the beginning you're gonna suck dude if I was to, if you were to tell me my first podcast it was laughable the first time I did it. Even with my buddies, it was horrible. Like, 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 yeah. like, like, like I was saying constantly and um, um, um. It's like, shut up, stop doing that. That's how you learn <laughs> and you improve over time. And for me, man, you're right. I think it's perseverance for me is the biggest key. And that's something mm -hmm. that you've been able to do because you wouldn't be in the game this long if you didn't have that. Well, I think the biggest thing that anyone can have going for them in whatever it is that you do is to be consistent. Right. And I think it's not about being good or being great. It's about being memorable. And I, and I mean that in the best possible way. Don't, you know, try to be some zany, weird, crazy guy, but be memorable because you ask great questions or be memorable because you are a good listener or be memorable because you do great research. And then that's where you're really going to take off because you put in the time beforehand. Let me ask you something else. I feel like you always get asked about wrestling and whatnot. What kind of other shit are you into? You into fishing? You into football? Hockey? Like you might, it got to be hockey, being Canadian, no? Yeah, of course. I mean, okay. in, in hockey, you basically come out of the womb wearing skates. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so I grew up playing hockey. Grew up playing baseball. That was actually my sport growing up. I, oh, I nice. played uh, you know, select and rep baseball on a traveling team. The Pickering Red Sox was my team. Uh, uh, so that was, that was very much, uh, you know, a lot of my summers was baseball and traveling and going to baseball practices. Bass fishing is my thing. Like bass fishing is my jam. Like I love bass fishing as much as I love pro wrestling and I'm passionate about broadcasting too. So I actually own a bass fishing brand called Woo Tungsten. Uh, we sell tungsten fishing weights for bass. I'm actually wearing the shirt. This was coincidental, actually. Woo all day is what it. the shirt says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, bass fishing was my thing. I fished in many um, bass tournaments with some of the top bass fishing pros in the world. And that's a world that I still very much have my hand in because of this fishing company. So that I'm obviously you know, a big film fan. Spent a lot of my career as a film critic, uh, voting for the Broadcast Film Critics Association, the Critics' Choice Awards. So yeah, I look, I, when I like something, I dive all the way into something. So that's, that's kind of, I'm like a, I'm a hell yes or hell no type of person. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I agree with you on that. I actually, I got a cut here on my hand from when I was younger. I used to go out to uh, Orient Point in Long Island. It's like the end of the actual island of, of Long Island. And I would uh, go for striped bass and bluefish. Nice. And I loved the bluefish because of the fight, like the fight with it. And also the striped yeah. bass was a lot of dead weight when you were trying to reel it in. And I got this cut here, man, and it like goes across my veins. So I've always gotten crazy comments about it because people think other other things. But right. I can't really I don't know if it, it doesn't really show, but it's it's horrible. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it happened because I was trying to I, I caught a bluefish. It was like 33 inches. And I go to put it away and like last ditch effort to survive kind of sliced it with his tail across there. Oh, it was like shooting out, dude. But I love fishing, man. I know I kind of just uh, kind of just scarred you a little bit with uh, the wow. story, a little gangrel in me. But I, uh, 
I, I love fishing too, man. It's like an underrated thing that not many people know about me. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solutions. And of course, fellas, if you're looking to last longer, go a few extra rounds. Get BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they are chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just $5 for the shipping is what you will have to pay. And again, that is B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. And big ups to the members of the Patreon, Nick Chavez, Ryan Pisner, Christopher Velasquez, Corey Johnson Hoops, Derek Plates, and Daniel Gibson. Largemouth and smallmouth bass are like my thing. I love bass fishing and there was a point, like I'm, I'm actually, let's see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. I was on the cover of a fishing magazine when I was uh, 15. Yo, that's, uh, that's awesome. Me with a, that's me with a steelhead there on the cover of Canadian Sport Fishing Magazine. Like wow. fishing was my thing, like I, I, so much so that my nickname for a few years in high school was fish or fish boy or whatever, something like that. Yeah, I, I uh, become very obsessed with the things that I love, um, which has kind of been the story of my career. Like, became obsessed with the idea of like, I want to be a TV host. I want to wake up and be excited to go to my job every day. And that's really what set me down the path of like, okay, if I want to be a TV host, what do I need to do now? I'm a student in high school at the time. Like, what do I need to do now? And I started looking at what the next few steps were and just started going, okay. Step one, then step two, and we'll we'll finally get there. You mentioned you've been a part of giving out awards, and you worked with, uh, you know, like uh, movie critics and whatnot. What kind of shows are you watching now during quarantine? So, I I mean, I watched Tiger King, of course. We all right, did, right, 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 right. Big Ozarks fan. Uh, oh, okay. So I have a big complaint, and uh-oh. this might ruin our entire relationship right now. I'm like eight episodes in, Chris. It's not doing it for me, man. Season- really? Yeah, I don't know. Now, wow. look, let me let me just say, I just finished watching Money Heist, and I watched it twice in 11 days, once in English and once with the Spanish subtitles. And okay. 
maybe it's because my expectations are too high. Have you watched Money Heist? No. I, I started to watch it. Look, here's the other thing is I don't devote a ton of my time to watching TV series because, look, if I'm going to watch the whole season of Money Heist, I kind of think to myself, well, don't I have better things to do with 12 hours of my time? You know what I mean? Especially when I'm, you know, trying to make this YouTube channel and, you know, trying to run this fishing business and all these other things that I'm you know, doing. I'm in the process of moving to Los Angeles. Like I've got all these other things. I'm like, I probably can do something better with 12 hours of my time. So I don't like, I don't go all in on the TV series simply because of that. I, I put it on in the background, like Shark Tank's a uh -huh. show that I'm constantly watching. I've watched every episode of that. I actually learned a lot about like business, business yeah. and terms just from watching that show. But yeah, if someone's like, oh, you got to see this new show. I'm like, oh man, they're on season four. I haven't watched a single episode. I don't have that kind of time. Dude, I've become obsessed with it. I've went down rabbit holes on YouTube just watching like, oh, yeah. conspiracy theories and all that. What is, what is like your, your like, go-to or, or favorite show of all time? Of all time? I'm probably going to go with Shark Tank just because oh, – okay. Yeah, I, but uh, so that's like a like if, if something's on TV right now, and the thing I like about Shark Tank is I don't need to know what episodes came before that. Right, everyone is its own thing. There's no yeah, carryover. But, right, but if I'm gonna pick a series, it's Breaking Bad. I think it's the greatest television show of all time. All right, so after burying me for wasting my time watching Money Heist, where you kind of did, but it's okay, we'll let that pass. <laughs> you now put me over with the Breaking Bad because for me, that's that's number one for sure. I love Breaking Bad. I, you know, we just all have those friends who are like, oh man, I'm watching this show and this show and this show and this show. And I'm like, where do you get this time? Yeah. You know, and I, and I, right now I'm Ozark's my show. Like it's the only show I'm watching religiously. So that, that's my jam right now. Oh, and, and and my girlfriend and I are also watching Married at First Sight every once in a while. You seen that show? No, I haven't. So the concept is basically like, I haven't, you know, dating hasn't been working out for me. So I'm going to agree to let these dating experts match me with somebody. And you meet them at the altar. Oh, shit. And then you I'm... get married and you have to stay married for eight weeks. Wow. That's, that's a fascinating social experiment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh my God, I can't imagine walking into that situation. Yeah, right. Like you, like basically, you walk up to the altar and then you stand there waiting for your bride to come down. And you're like, "Oh, cool, that's who I'm gonna marry," like an arranged marriage. Oh my God, man, that's like a blind date on PEDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that is, and they, 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 yeah, because you have to get married. Jesus, what um. You, you've interviewed all these wrestlers and celebrities, and I've had a chance to um, meet both celebrities and athletes and even, like, wrestlers, too. It's different for me when I meet a wrestler. Like, the fanboy mm. in me just hits a little different, and I think it's only something that wrestling fans can understand. Have you ever been left, like, in awe or just speechless at the moment? Like, I can't believe I'm interviewing so-and-so now it could be a celebrity or wrestler i mean look anytime i'm about to interview anyone of any sort of stature i'm like i get to do this like, yeah. I, I, one of the ones that was so cool for me was 
The Rock was at the top of my list for the longest time, and I got to interview him, and he's incredible. The Rock's just as nice as you want him to be. Um, and he just has this incredible celebrity quality where he makes you feel special, even though he's the biggest star right, in the world. Right, right. After him, I really wanted to interview Tom Cruise, and I'm just such a fan of his work, and I think that Tom Cruise is really the last remaining movie star. Uh, and I got the chance to interview him on the red carpet in Paris for the last Mission Impossible movie in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. And that was one of those where like, I was kind of in the middle of the red carpet and the way a red carpet works is like, they start at one end and it's two minutes with this person, two minutes with this person, they kind of work their way down the red carpet. So I was standing there, I watched Tom Cruise come onto the red carpet, pose with the fans, sign some autographs. And I'm kind of like, Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's do the math. I'm 40 minutes away from interviewing Tom Cruise <laughs> and he's getting closer and closer, like three feet at a time as he finishes his interviews. And that was one of those moments where I kind of went, wow, like this is, this is pretty surreal and this is pretty special. Damn. I mean, the rock is, yeah, probably the biggest star in the world. So to interview him, that's pretty cool. And then also, like, Tom Cruise is, like you said, one of the last remaining, like, actual movie stars, you know? Like, he yeah. can play all these different roles where I do think, like, and I love the Marvel movies, and I don't want to sound like Ebert and Roper right now, but I do think, like, that's kind of swung the way people think about movies nowadays because they're so, like, $300 million budgets, and then it's yeah. just these, like, very wrestling-like, right? These larger than life characters on the big screen yeah 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 no you're right and uh i think that for a long time there i think the movie studios were basically going unless we got a big superhero movie that's gonna lock down and anchor our summer releases this year what are we doing are you are you following any other sports like currently i mean there's no sports on now but do you follow like the NBA um what's like what are like your teams too because you mentioned you playing but you, I don't think you really dove into like what teams you might yeah be. yeah so I since moving to the U.S. I've been living here for 10 years football's become my my number one my number mm -hmm. one sport but growing up in Canada I probably watched baseball the most the Blue Jays were my team um hockey is such a huge thing in Canada like number one by far Right. Um, so the Leafs are my team, but I, I didn't watch hockey as much as I watched other sports. So I'd be Toronto teams, you know, where, where they exist, uh, except in the NFL. And Cleveland was the first city that I lived in in the United States. So the Browns, I'm a Browns fan. I, I'm, I'm proud to say, okay, I'm proud to say it. I'm a Browns fan. They're terrible, but I'm a Browns fan. I think, I think uh, no one could question you about loyalty. Because when you root for <laughs> shitty teams, look, listen, I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Knicks fan. Uh, it's been a nightmare for about 18 of the last 20 years for both franchises. And also, why, why, why don't you pick the good New York teams? Well, here's the thing, right? I used to say, at least I have the Giants. And now they've been a dumpster. <laughs> so I don't really have anything, Chris. Well, the Jets are terrible. So Yeah, yeah. I got that to just uh, wave over. But. Yeah, so I'm I'm Leafs and Raptors and Blue Jays and Browns. And the thing that, you know, really hooked me with the Browns, which it's interesting, my first ever NFL game with the Bills, actually, 
about a two hour drive from Toronto to go to Buffalo. And you too? I, well, no, no. I went to school in Buffalo. I went to Buffalo State. Oh, so oh nice. I went, uh, I went to two Bills games when I was up there. Man, Bills Mafia is no joke. Everything you hear about oh. them. And this was, this was in 2009 <coughs> and 2010. So this is like 10 years ago, and they were crazy then also. I yeah. remember my roommate – well, not my roommate. The kid next door to me lived – he was born and raised in Buffalo. And I was in Buffalo the year that they had their first Monday night football game after like 15 years, and they were playing the Patriots. And then they were up like 13 with three minutes left, and they blew the game. The dude, Chris, literally <laughs> threw his TV out the dorm window – <laughs> had to write a five-page paper on why that was a hazard and all this shit, dude. It was crazy. And he just started yelling. And I was an asshole back then. I just went over. I was like, hey, what happened? Like, why are you so angry? He's like, you fucking know, because we played football together, too. He's like, you know, Nick. He's like, get out of my face. And he was like 6'5". I was like, all right, this is a terrible mistake. Let's get out of here. Let's go back in our room. So Bill's what, mafia. What I, oh, yeah. yeah. Bill, the Bill's fans are insane. My first ever game was – in December, it was like the last game of the year. It was Patriots and Bills because my buddy was a mega, mega Patriots fan. I'm like, yeah, all right, for your birthday, we'll drive down there, we'll go to a game, and we'll freeze our asses off. Uh, but then when I moved to Cleveland, I realized how much a part of the culture it was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a question of what were you doing on Sunday. It was where are you watching the game on Sunday? And I really loved how, you know, a lot of cities in the Midwest, that's what it's all about. And, and that just drew me right in, um, whether it was just tailgating and then watching at a bar or tailgating and then, you know, walking your way into the stadium and watching the Browns lose. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing, man, I'm the most jealous of people <clears throat> in towns like Cleveland, your Cincinnati's, your uh, Green Bay's. Mm -hmm. that vibe of how football is in the South. I had a friend of mine, she graduated from Alabama. She works with the big 10 network now and, you know, going from the sec up to the big 10. Now it's like, it's very similar because like you said, you knew what you were doing on Sundays with Cleveland. We're like in New York, <clears throat> it's a gift and a curse where it's the biggest city in the world, but the yep. sports suffer because it's such a, a transient city where there's a lot oh, of people yeah. where, you know, you're not born and raised New Yorkers. I'm actually, my nine to five job is I'm a street vendor in New York City. I've been running my dad's food cart. We just got a food truck. And a lot of his customers and our customers are from Cincinnati or yep. they're from North Dakota. And when they go to Knicks games or they go to Ranger games, it's because their company has these suites. And, you know, they're not decked out in the all orange like you're supposed to when you sit. So we always say, like, the real fans are in the cheap seats when you oh, go yeah. to, like, New York. And that's one thing that I think suffers. The, the teams suffer in New York, in L.A., because, dude, there's, like, 13 professional teams in New York where if you're in Green Bay, you're going to root for the Packers. And yeah. maybe you're a Bucks fan, you know, because it's in, you know, it's in Milwaukee. Yeah, well, I, I spent the last five years in Miami, and I mean, it's, it's not a great sports town there for all of the reasons that you just listed. That's another one, yeah. And I'll never forget getting into an Uber. I had tickets for like the second Dolphins home game of the year. I got into an Uber. I was going to the stadium, and the Uber driver goes, oh, go to the stadium. Cool. What's going on there today? And I'm like, <laughs> the Dolphins game. Like, what do you mean what's going on there today? 
And that's just, you know, there's a thousand other things to do there. You know, number one on that list is going to the beach. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I can understand where it comes from, but it's cool to be able to have that experience that I had in Cleveland where the entire city has their eyeballs on that game. Yeah, I was in Miami for when they won the first finals with LeBron. So that was 2012. And I remember we were at this place called the Cleveland there, if you've ever yep. been there yeah, on South Beach. Of course, on South Beach, yeah. Yeah, and um, the DJ goes, all right, where are all my Miami Heat fans? And it's like, and then they're like, all right, where are all my, uh, it was the second one, my bad, it was 2013. Where are all my Spurs fans? And like the place just erupted. And I was like, how are you in Miami and you get a louder pop for the Spurs than you do with the Heat. And they also get the bad rep, that famous video, during that series, actually, ironically enough, when the fans were leaving and then Ray Allen hits the shot and then before you know it, they're all trying to come back in. How do you like Miami? Because it's, you know, it's it's funny. you born and raised in Toronto pretty much and then you're in Miami. It's probably my two favorite cities. Yeah, I think that Miami's weather is absolutely unbeatable. Yep. I was just so done with snow after no, living tell me in about it. <laughs> yeah, Toronto for, you know, most of my life and five years in Cleveland. I was just like, you know what? My goal is to work in a place where there's palm trees. That was mm. my goal. I'm like, all right. So that's ba- I basically narrowed it down here that I'm going to live somewhere in Florida, somewhere in California, or maybe somewhere in Phoenix or Texas or something like that. But that was it. I really wanted the weather to drive it. And I had this incredible opportunity to host this show called Deco Drive, which is uh, an entertainment show on the Fox affiliate in Miami. And man, for five years, I got to travel the world, interviewing the biggest stars in the world. And then I got to do some other really cool segments where I got to do like some hands-on reporting. Like mm-hmm. I swam with an alligator. Uh, oh, shit. Which, yeah, I got the photos and videos on my Instagram page. I, talk about fishing. I caught a 480-pound Goliath grouper, which was like the size, like as long as, like as long as me, as big as me. And I jumped in the water with it. I also got to, um, I tried out for the Florida Marlins uh, or the Miami Marlins, tried out for the Florida Panthers. And I, I got to shoot hoops and play horse with the Miami Heat. Like I got to do these amazing, fun segments. Um, and it was just, I, 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 Miami is such a fun city because there's a little bit of everything to do there. The only thing I really missed, though, about Miami was everything's so flat. And I don't think anyone, anyone really talks about this. Anyone that visits Miami knows South Beach, right? right? They know all the bars and the clubs and the beaches and all that type of stuff. That's like 1% of what people that actually live in Miami do. You know, it's, it's like, it'd be like going to New York and be like, yeah, I've been to Times Square. And you're like, we, we, yeah, but, you know, yeah. you got you to eat some meet from a street vendor to have a real new york experience yeah yeah absolutely amen to that yeah for sure and and what even, corner is your street vending on we're on uh park avenue and 49th street my dad's been there 20 next year will be 28 years wow congrats I've, i'm sure i've walked by there a hundred times yeah it's right by uh the waldorf astoria i've actually yeah. met a, ro- a lot of wrestlers uh J- you mentioned jack swagger i have a picture with him he, he came by he got like uh, five bacon, egg, and cheeses. He said four of them were from Ooh. Henry. So he was with Mark Henry at the time when Jack Swagger was still with WWE. And yeah, man, it's you're right. You're right, though. Because when I've gone to Miami, I've been at most 
maybe 15 minutes away from South Beach. Yeah. So I haven't gotten to experience everything else. But I, I think it's like that. Anytime you go to a city that you're not, you always go to like the hot spots. Of course. I, well, I, I wanted to like have the real Miami experience. Right. So when I first moved there, I was living in Hollywood. And Hollywood, Florida, it's like by Fort Lauderdale, which was cool. Uh, where, you know, Dolph Ziggler is fake from. <laughs> uh, then I was like, you know what? I want to have like the real like Miami experience. And I lived on South Beach for a year and quickly realized that a year was going to be way too long to live on South Beach because it'd be like living on the Vegas Strip. Right. You know, it's like where it's where all the action is all the time. Doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday or a Friday night. You know, there's always something going on there. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, man. There. Florida is such a fascinating place and uh and it's 80 degrees and sunny every single day it's hard to complain when the weather is like that although I have uh you know even though I was an entertainment reporter uh whenever a hurricane would come through oh, I would boy. have to be transformed into a hurricane reporter so I was a hurricane reporter for Hurricane Matthew which wasn't so bad <clears throat> Hurricane Irma which was pretty bad um yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it was interesting standing out there in the middle of a hurricane on TV. Has you living in Miami helped you with the people coming to visit to make it easier for you to get these interviews? Because Miami is similar to New York, where a lot of people go there for vacation or there's all these events that go down there. So has that helped you? Because you mentioned something, and like I said earlier in the show, how I've gotten some inspiration from you where you know, you travel to all these places to go do these interviews. So have you had that luxury to have people come to you? And then you're like, oh, okay, this is cool to just not have to go on my way this one time. I've had it like a few times. Mm. But I think the thing is when you're going to Miami on vacation, the last thing you want to do is is sort of press. Right. Right. So the thing I've been really fortunate is Miami is really close to Orlando where a ton of wrestlers live. Right. Miami's really close to Tampa where a bunch of wrestlers live. And Miami's relatively close, about a four and a half hour drive to Jacksonville where AEW's headquarters are. And I was able to drive up there and do an interview with Tony Khan. So I don't know if being located in Miami was helpful for the people that were coming there, but it was central enough that you had a bunch of big cities where a bunch of big names lived that you could do a day trip, go do the interview and, a lot of times I was like, my friend would drive and I would edit the interview on the way home as we were driving. Like, that's just, uh, you know, it's, it's all part of the hustle. Man, as we're winding down, because I kept you long enough and I appreciate you once again for your time. I got a, co- a couple more quick points I just want to hit on. <clears throat> Who haven't you interviewed yet that you want to interview? Well, the top of the list is Vince McMahon. I don't, I mean, oh. I'll just keep, I'll keep throwing that out there. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm going to keep throwing it out in the universe with the hopes that it will. So Vince McMahon, number one on that list, Tom Hanks would be someone I would love to do an interview with and you know, haven't had the opportunity to as well. Yeah. Vince, if you, I think that'd be the most fascinating interview they should do. They're, they're airing the last dance now with Michael Jordan. They need to do yeah. one. Vince. I totally agree. And I don't want to just have a interview with Vince where I ask him about, you know, storylines that went wrong. Like I want to talk to him as like a business person. Like he is a brilliant entrepreneur, which he doesn't get a ton of credit for within the wrestling world. Mm -hmm. Obviously everybody from the outside looking in, like 
the inks and the Forbes of the world will, you know, recognize him as a businessman, but he's a brilliant businessman. We're having this conversation right now because of Vince McMahon and how great of a businessman he is. Yeah, he definitely doesn't get the right respect from the wrestling world, but I also think it's because Dude, it's so hard to manage all these personalities, right? You're seeing it with this documentary with Last Dance. Like, Phil Jackson was able to control all these big personalities. Dennis Rodman, shit, he even went to Nitro, too, you know, like the crossover there. With yeah, stuff. yeah. So just, just imagine Vince McMahon having to do this, and you hear all these stories. I think the coolest thing about something like that would be you can't have him kayfabe you. Like, you need yeah. to have this, like, I want the real, the real truth, like, does he have any other hobbies? Does anyone know? I, I mean, it's got to be bodybuilding, right? Yeah, yeah. But, like, it, it, does he watch football? I'm sure he probably does since he had the XFL. But, like, is he into, like, basketball or something? Like, no. Yeah, one the fact knows. that we even have to question, like, yeah. But, uh, but this is what makes him great, right? right? Like, he's taken the thing that he's super passionate about and made that his, like, absolute dialed-in focus. You're... Your channel, you turn that into audio, and then it's your podcast. How, yeah. uh, how long have you been doing a podcast? So it turns one in June. So uh, we won't oh. have, that's, my, that's my podcast anniversary. And, you know, it was, you know, I said the YouTube channel happened by accident. I think podcasts kind of happened by accident as well. I was trying to put all my focus into the YouTube channel and I thought that if I had this podcast thing on the side, it might take away from the views that I had on YouTube, which I was you know, really, really trying to right. build. And then I realized like these interviews kept getting longer and longer and longer by choice. You know, I was making them closer to an hour when, when I first started out, they were 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes was a long one. I never forget, I did an interview with Simon Gotch that was like 36 minutes. And I'm like, guys, this is the longest interview I've done. 36 minutes. Um, so as they started getting longer and longer, I'm realizing I'm really asking a lot of someone to keep their YouTube browser open or their YouTube app open for an hour to indulge me in this conversation. So I just started making the audio version of these interviews available in the podcast just to basically go, hey. I don't need you to do this for an hour on YouTube. If you do, that's cool. And thank you. But I'm going to make this other option available for you too. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. That's what I, I did. I'm doing something similar now, but I did it the other way where when we first started, we had the audio and then right. it's just, it's just cool because that one piece of content, your, your channel could turn into really four different pieces, right? It's the actual YouTube channel. You can do minute clips on Instagram. You have the podcast now. And if you really want to get wild, you can even get people to write about it. Like write like a summary of it too. And you just add more to your brand. So that's something that I've been doing where it's audio now, especially with the yeah. times now, like I've been able to do more zoom conversations yeah, and cutting up clips. And it's just more ways to just get your, your stuff out there to so many different people. The thing I like is there's no rules anymore. You know, yeah. I, I went to I went to school for communication studies and got into broadcasting where if you wanted to be on a platform that more than two people saw, you needed to be on TV. You know, you, you needed to do that. There was no such thing as YouTube at that point. So I love that there's no rules now. And if you 
whatever you're passionate about, whatever you love, that's your thing. You can make a channel about it. And that's, that's so cool. I also appreciate that wrestling is just one of the things that I kind of, you know, one of the pies I have my finger in. Uh, I'm, I'm also still doing broadcast and freelancing, uh, different hosting. I'm doing some acting. I was in some commercials recently. And I just want to be able to do as many things that I'm passionate about. And the way that I, you know, wanted to define my career when I first got into it is I want to be excited for what I'm doing at the start of the day and proud of what I've done at the end of the day. And I think that that's like the true definition of being successful. As I see behind you over your right shoulder, a bunch of belts. Oh, the YouTube thing. Okay, yeah, let's show love to that. You know, that's hard work over there. <laughs> That's hard that, work. That, that took eight years to get. Yeah, that's eight years. What uh, what's your favorite wrestling belt of all time? Of all time, it's probably the third one down here. For anyone who's watching this video, it's the Winged Eagle, which I got autographed by Hulk Hogan. Um, nice. So I, what I wanted to do is I I I'm not like a big memorabilia person, but I just thought the belts were so cool, and I wanted to get a belt autographed by the person who I thought represented that belt Bingo. the best. So Hulk Hogan autographed that. The second one down here is the ECW championship, which Rob Van Dam autographed. And I did an interview with Goldberg and his manager gave me this. Damn. And then Goldberg autographed it and then said, you're next. Let's go. That's. Yeah, so that. That was pretty cool. But yeah, I think the Winged Eagle, just because that was the era that I was watching wrestling at that time. And that was the belt that, uh, you know, was the belt when I first got into it. Yeah, I I, I want to start doing that, collecting belts. Because, you know, I showed you beforehand. And since we're flashing belts, I got to show you a belt that's a... <laughs> this is a one-of-one, one, Chris. You want to talk about Love rare. It. You know, usually different circumstances. My guests pose with the VM strap. But nice. Yeah. I have a, the only real wrestling belt I have, I have the Broken Skull one. Oh, very cool. The Smoking Skull one, yeah. Smoking Skull, yeah. Austin's my guy, man. Favorite wrestler of all time. Who's yours? And we'll end with that. Who's your favorite wrestler of all time? All time's The Rock. The I Rock. Mean, yeah. The Rock's uh, charisma, I think, really kind of helped guide the person that I ended up becoming in life because he was so over the top and so charismatic and so likable. And I also love that you could stick the rock in any situation and he would come out on top and, you know, make it look great. So it was the rock. I mean, I walked around my high school raising the people's eyebrow and yelling, it doesn't matter all the time at people. Um, and so when I did finally get to meet him 13 years later in 2012, when I first met him, it was a real culmination for me of like, oh my God, like you were such an important person to me growing up. Now you're such an important person, like in my career now, you know, yeah. with film. It was a very cool thing. So it's got to be rock. I think I could keep my cool under any circumstance with people that I'm around. Dude, I'm going to make a fool of myself if I ever meet Stone Cold. I'm just putting oh, it out no. there and there. Yeah, it's my guy, Chris. That's my guy. In, in a good so, way, like, I'm just going to mark out. But after like three seconds, you'll be like, oh, that's just my buddy Steve. I'm like, hey, Nick, you, we, should, we should go grab a beer together. Yeah, you, know, you, just, you just be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's my buddy Steve. Oh, one day, man. One day. Chris, you're the, you're the truth. I appreciate it. I, I love this conversation. I'm going to play it back. A lot of cool insight. 
Uh, I love the storytelling about your story and where you're at now and where you aspire to be. Uh, plug away, man. Tell people about your podcast, your YouTube channel. If they don't know about it, anything else you're into fishing. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for having me on here and congrats to you on everything. Thank you, man. Um, and yeah, it's at Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T on all forms of social media and YouTube. And yeah, if you're into bass fishing or you know someone who is, look up Woo Tungsten. It's Woo with an exclamation mark, Tungsten. And you can't just say Woo Tungsten. It's Woo. Give me one, Nick. Woo Tungsten. Woo Tungsten. Thank you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs>